Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hello and welcome to the 2022 season of Wannabe Walk-Ons, a Nebraska football and craft beer fan podcast and the official podcast of the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild. I'm Drew, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Ben. Thanks, Drew. Each episode, we will sample craft beers, mostly local, some beyond, while sharing our unique brand of Husker Insight. We encourage you to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at wannabewalkons for the most up-to-date show information. And please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform or listen to each episode on wannabewalkons.com. On this week's episode, Drew and I react to the Nebraska-North Dakota game, preview the Huskers matchup against the Georgia Southern Eagles, and sample beer from Lincoln's White Elm Brewing Company. I'm Ben. And I'm Drew. And this is Wannabe Walk-Ons. Happy Wind Day, Drew. Woo, the streak is ended and there a new streak has begun. Absolutely. Man, it feels good to be sitting down and talking about a win. It does. Yes. Yeah. A resounding victory. Yes. You know some what? Might say. A great second half victory where the team that's known for playing these tight games and never being able to get over the hump got over the hump. They and did it. Some. They, they really did, did. And then they iced it. Like They, they did. actually, I feel like they handled it. Really well as the situation was unfolding. Absolutely. I, I really felt like there was a lot of adversity thrown at that team, uh, thrown at Nebraska in that first half. Obviously, we'll get into it, but just got to get that right out right out of there and say there was a lot being thrown their way by North Dakota, and they handled it well. They did, yes. How did you watch the game? What was your setup for the game itself? Um, so I, I was just in my living room per usual. Uh, I was trying to watch it mostly alone, although my... <laughs> My children did come in and and enjoy me for a little how, while. How which dare is, they enter? <laughs> try to the shared indulge. living space that is. It's it's really for their own safety that they're not there most of the time. Yeah. Um. Try not to uh, extend their vocabulary beyond what I've already done. So, but yeah, no, it's it's fun with them. Uh, my son is nine now, so he's really like starting to engage with games. He'll, uh-huh. He he's still he'll still cut out and he'll go off and do his own thing, but he'll yeah. he'll jump back in and. Um, he'll vocalize his his stress and his feelings as the game goes on. So that's good. Yeah, that's good. It's good for him to to get introduced now to this this life that we live, <laughs> this life of misery and pain. Yeah. So, but not today. Good. Not today. Today not was today. victorious again. So it was. Yeah. How it about was. you? What was your What was your situation? You know what? I think I'm actually responsible for the second half turnaround because I started watching in my living room, and come second half, I switched to watching outside on an outside TV. And that second half is when things really turned around. The only thing that was a negative to that was when uh, Chancellor Brewington got 
targeted. Yeah, clearly. Blatantly. Clearly. <laughs> um, I was screaming, mm. and my neighbors don't know me except for a, <laughs> that moment and, like, when I mow. So I'm sure that I, I have some neighbors who are like, oh, he's that guy. Yeah, yeah. He's yell at the TV in his backyard <laughs> guy. That's right. I feel like that opens up an opportunity for them to like maybe peek over the fence and I think it opens up an engage. opportunity for them not to engage. Which you know what? Hey, not the worst thing in the world. Yeah. I mean, I love neighbors, but at the same time, I don't really I, I got enough friends. Yeah. I, I got my wife and you. That's good. Yeah. All, <laughs> all two of us. All right. Well, before we move into talking North Dakota and talking about some beer. I also want to say that I owe our listeners an apology, and that apology is, last week, we introduced some new transitions, and I received some feedback (laughs) from your wife. Uh I received some feedback from my wife. Okay. I received some feedback from some other listeners. Multiple listeners. Yeah. That maybe they were a little too loud. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to apologize. It was not my intention when editing. If Ben blew out your speakers, his phone number is... No, (laughs) Just give him a call. Totally that just means you're listening to you. it too loud if it blew out your speakers. I, but I do apologize. I'm not trying to victim blame there and be like, no, it's your fault. <laughs> I did have those a little loud. I was editing at the State Fair in Grand Island at our booth before the show opened up. So I had some just noise that I don't normally have while editing. So I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm going to do better this time. Okay. I think you need to get more creative in your editing process. How dare you? <laughs> Well, now that the apology's out of the way, let's get into talking about some beer. And I think we've got a really great brewery on this episode, one that I think you're a pretty big fan of. Yes, very much so. Then I'm going to tell you the history that you may already somewhat know, or or maybe you don't, and you're going to learn a little bit more about White Elm Brewing Company. So, White Elm Brewing Company, located in Lincoln, Nebraska, began with an epiphany many moons ago. Let's rewind the clock to a simpler time, the early aughts, back when... Hey Ya was on the radio. Superhero movies were still considered a risk at the box office, and gas was below a buck fifty a gallon. Colby Wood was a package handler for UPS. One of Colby's good friends, as good friends are wont to do, shared a beer with Colby. Only this beer was no ordinary beer. This beer was homemade. Colby was quickly smitten with the idea of making his own beer, something Drew you can undoubtedly relate to. His immediate reaction to his friend's beer was to visit a brewery supply store and get a kit for himself. In 2005, while stovetop brewing a self-admitted three times a week, Colby decided to take a leap of faith and move to Denver, Colorado. His goal was to work at a brewery, but he instead found himself at a pub where he worked his way up and into commercial brewing connections. During his time in Denver, Colby learned all he could about the production and operation side of brewing beer. While a lot of home brewer to brewery owners struggled to find their groove in this area, Colby felt he had a leg up. In 2014, Colby returned to Lincoln and made the ultimate decision to open White Elm Brewing Company. The brewery, named after the tree he and his wife would sit under while discussing the business's details, eventually opened on November 9th, 2016. What began as a simple brewery to service his local community quickly turned into one of the more popular and celebrated breweries in the state. In 2019, White Elm expanded beyond their original Lincoln location to a second tap room that resides in the shadow of Memorial Stadium in Haymarket. At any given time in Lincoln and beyond, you can find a rotation of over 10 beers on tap and even more barrel-aged and adjunct-infused beers at the ready. Now, almost 20 years since working for UPS, 
Mr. Wood has gone from delivering packages to delivering a high-quality, community-driven craft beer experience to Lincoln, Nebraska, and beyond. And that's just a brief intro to White Elm Brewing Company. Nice. And we've got ourselves there, one of their first beers, one of their flagship beers, and as a production brewery, a very important beer to them. Drew, why don't you tell us what we're drinking? All right. Yeah, so we are drinking their IPA called Skinny Legs. Um, so I'm just going to read out the can here. This is a hop forward take on an American IPA. It's brewed with mosaic, Simcoe, Citra, and Amarillo hops. Uh, it says aromas of grapefruit give way to stone fruit and resin pine. Um, and those are like really popular hops to, to blend, um, but they can produce all sorts of, you know, different aromas depending on how they, how you handle them. And this is, this is hands down like one of my favorite IPAs in the state. Yeah. So yeah, um, I make the trip out to Lincoln all the time to visit visit White Elm, especially for their special releases and love this brewery. So I'm glad we're, I'm glad we're on to them now. I have shared in White Elm over the years. I have never had skinny legs until now. And don't get mad at me when I describe it as such, but it reminds me of almost like a squirt soda meets a hoppy refresher, like hop based seltzer. Mm-hmm. This ni- nice, really nice fusion where you get the hop notes, kind of the pine notes, some of those more natural notes, and then that grapefruit and stone fruit, for me, really comes to life. Yeah. So it feels very refreshing, which is something I don't always get out of a straightforward IPA that's not a hazy. Right. This has just a really refreshing quality where the sweetness is balanced really well with that hop. Yeah, it really is. And that's and that's weird because, like, I honestly, like, my I'm drawn more towards that resiny side of it yeah. than, the, than the fruit qualities that uh, come through. But they're definitely both present. And there is great balance yeah. there. It's just, you know, you might pick out you know, one certain flavor over the other in that beer, but, um, but it's all there. None of it's overwhelming, um, super drinkable for yeah. an IPA. It's not, uh, it's not huge and big and in your face like a lot of them can be. I feel like IPAs sometimes can really just sit heavy in my stomach and they just kind of hang out there and they're, they're just kind of, they're, they're like a gut bomb in a mm-hmm. sense. And so I don't always look forward to drinking beyond one beer when I'm having an IPA. And I was kind of having a similar feeling, honestly, going into this beer, but drinking it now like I was almost in the mood for a soda before we sat down and this quenched that desire. Nice. Not to say that it's a super sweet beer, but it just has that same refreshing quality of that citrus note. And then I love the balance. Hoppy refreshers are one of my favorite things to drink. They're from uh, Lagunitas. Okay. Say that right? L- Lagunitas? Lagunitas. Yeah. yeah, I always fuck up that. Uh, I think that it's, I, it might not be. I might be wrong, but Well, it starts with an L and ends with an Oz. with a dog on yeah, there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> They've got a hoppy refresher, which is uh-huh. just seltzer water with hops, and then they add a little bit of brewer's yeast to it, so it gives kind of a beer quality, but it's a seltzer. There's no calories to it. It's really refreshing. I like to drink them after I mow, drink them with dinner, after I've exercised or something like that. Yeah. Really, really nice drink to have. And this reminds me a little bit of those notes, but again, mixed with some some really refreshing qualities of like a soda, like a like a squirt. Nice. I'm I'm happy that you're. It's not your first introduction to White Elm, but to this beer in particular is is appealing. That it, yeah, that it's hitting. You know, spot we, for you. we drink beers, and I think we drink a lot of great beers on this show. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm always like, you know what? I'll come back to that beer in this moment. I think it'll be great for this moment. This one I don't think is a moment beer. This is a any moment beer. And this is one where I think this could be a standard rotation to be like, hey, I want a little bit something hoppier, but that I know is going to be refreshing. So I think this is something that is going to be a part of my rotation moving forward. Yeah. Which is just a great feeling. Yeah. I'm so welcome. I'm so happy to welcome you into the the IPA fold. Like, <laughs> it's been a long time coming. Yeah. If you hadn't pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed 
And if I hadn't been drunk and drunk and drunk and drunk <laughs> at Ultimate Beer Fests year over year, I still would be against IPAs. Yeah. And as much as the hazy craze has just taken over and can sometimes be exhausting, those really helped too, right? Those were a good foot in the door. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, the, and again, like these are super popular hops. You'll find them in a lot of beers. But when when brewers hit on that right combination, especially with, with their just their base malt and what they're working with there, you can come up with some really, really wonderfully complex, um, enjoyable beers that Again, they're just not overwhelming. They're not going to dry out your tongue with the, with the high IBU. They're just, yeah, like you say, refreshing, delicious, um, enjoyable all around. Absolutely. So, yeah. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about White Elm when we get to our second beer, which is a really special beer that I'm very excited to, to drink as well. But we're going to talk about this North Dakota game while we enjoy these skinny legs. And, Drew, where do you want to start with, with the North Dakota matchup? Let's start with a man who does not have skinny legs, and that is Anthony Grant. That dude has some shifty, awesome legs. Yes, he does. Just uh, wonderful, wonderful. That man that, that man carried this offense today, and so that was so good to see because I've been on uh, that bandwagon since I first saw his uh, highlights from New Mexico, and so um, I was really excited to see him again with the bell cow position. I think he did a lot better against than he did against Northwestern, where it was like, you know, a big chunk of his yardage came on that one play, whereas this was, they were feeding him and feeding him late in the game in that second half just to kind of ice that game away, and he was producing, producing yards when they weren't there, finding seams, making guys miss, breaking tackles, again, showing great vision, balance, agility, like all these awesome qualities uh, that you want to see in that number one guy. Absolutely. So that's where that's where my mind goes to first. Um, but there was some other quality play on the offensive side of the ball. I thought that uh, Bork and Brewington did a pretty good job of filling in for Vokalik. He's obviously left some big shoes to fill. Yeah. But they were still getting the tight end position involved. Uh, Brewington, I think, had a touchdown. Uh, Bork did. Maybe both they of both them. They both did, yeah, yeah. Right? Okay, so... They love hitting the tight end down the seam, right? Yeah. That was good to see them still involved. And then with the the wide receivers, they were, it looked like early on especially, they were trying to feed the ball to Palmer. They were giving the ball to Delante, getting it to Washington, um, giving all those guys just just chances, right? Like, let's just get the ball into the hands of our playmakers and see what they can do. Absolutely. Um, so those guys had some good plays there too. So I'm excited to see that. Omar was back on the field too, um, healthy again. He had a few catches and so... It was a slow start, obviously, on the offensive side, but eventually they did find their rhythm. And I think all of that comes back to the run game. Yeah, you know, I think first and foremost, a lot of credit has to go to North Dakota. They pitched a hell of a game. They gave Nebraska everything that they could handle. They put their all into this game, and it was a really impressive showing. I mean, when they got their pass rush going in the first half, I was scared. I mean, I I felt like, man, just watching this game, I feel like my back's against the ropes, and... They're throwing everything they can, and they're going right after Casey. And a few times I'm thinking, man, you know, that guy's got an injured thumb from the past, and I'm worried about his hand because he got drilled a few times just straight on. Right. Uh, but Nebraska's line started to hold long enough for the ball to start getting distributed to those wide receivers, and then for Grant to come alive in that second half was absolutely huge. My, my favorite thing that I'm seeing with Grant is – He's going against my expectation for him. And when you watch his like highlight reel from his recruiting process, he's not touched very often. He's breaking through a lot of wide open gaps from uh, New Mexico military, and he's just hitting the hole and going. He's got a few cuts here and there, but he's not often hit. You know, he doesn't face that adversity. And so it's really nice to see he did it against Northwestern, and he's he did it a lot against North Dakota, where in traffic, he's now making stuff happen. Yeah. 
And I was concerned with him coming in. Oh, is he just going to be another, there's got to be a wide open hole and he's got the speed to break away. No, this guy is going to get you yards through traffic and moving into Big Ten play. That gives me a little bit of reassurance and, and excitement knowing that we've got a back that can produce if our offensive line isn't getting where they need to go. Yeah, that can make up for a ton of deficiencies. Um, and then that can open up things in the pass game too. You did you touched on something that I was gonna talk about with Casey Thompson just getting hit, man. Like it's I mean, it's bad enough. You never want your quarterback to get hit, but um we saw Adrian go through a ton of injuries. You want him to be healthy. You want your quarterback to stay upright as much as possible. It looked like, yeah, maybe with the Northwestern game, like he might have just gotten rattled enough. Um, in this game, I know he was in the medical tent a couple of times. And so that always kind of worries you, especially when you want uh, your quarterback kind of orchestrating things and you want your pass game to be a big part of this offense. Um, so having that run game, though, uh, that can cover up a lot of those deficiencies again. So hopefully we continue to see that play from him. He can stay healthy. Um, A.J. Allen backing him up as the number two in this game. I thought that was neat to see. You know, he's a he's a true freshman coming in. I don't think he was an early enrollee. If I remember right, I don't believe so. So he came in pretty late, and he's jumped up to that number two spot. Uh, yeah. Gabe Irvin still mixing in there a little bit too. So they got plenty of backs. They've got uh, they had a good thing going for him here. Not just that, but they utilized. I feel like that was probably the even the bigger thing was that I feel like the coaching staff was figuring out how to call plays during this game. Yeah, you know that was actually something I wanted to talk about was how Frost and Whipple I think are they started off on on opposite ends. And they're getting a little bit closer, right? We mm-hmm. saw some triple option. We saw some quarterback run. And we saw those wrinkles really working when teams are preparing for a Whipple offense to throw in the frost wrinkles, which I think is how this needs to work. That really made a difference. And then you start to see things like the wide receivers blocking downfield and staying engaged. And you think, okay, how long ago were we hearing no block, no rock, right? If these wide receivers aren't blocking, we're not going to be successful. We're not going to throw them the ball. Well, today, every damn receiver was out there throwing great blocks, Washington, Palmer, Manning, all these guys, and on touchdown runs, on on two of Grant's runs, Palmer was out leading the way, Manning was out leading the way, Washington was out leading the way. Those guys were out there clearing paths as well and keeping Grant untouched, which was really nice to see. So you're starting to see how Whipple's offense and, and throwing the ball and scheming guys open like they did to open the second half to get the ball to Palmer right away, how that is such a huge have for this team but then also how frost can throw in like a designed run for casey and casey's not the fastest guy out there but he's certainly not the slowest and he's a pretty big boy he can make stuff happen with his legs and so it was just nice to see how they kept north dakota off balance in that second half and and uncomfortable on defense yeah yeah and i feel like he i feel like casey makes good decisions as a runner too very good decisions smart decisions protects himself well but also is willing to run hard yep yeah He's willing to put himself right across the middle and, and go for long yards. He doesn't just take the quick slide. Like, he'll cut back, go to the boundary. He'll he'll really earn each each step. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if you watched the Iowa game. I'm going to take every opportunity I can, by the way, to take a fucking pot <laughs> shot at Iowa. And I they're... did watch the <laughs> Iowa game. I was glued. I was glued to that game. I mean, it was Schadenfreude. It was the beautiful. score was five to three I at know. one point. I wanted the six to five South Dakota State win so fucking It would have been bad. beautiful. It would have been poetic. Yeah. Um, but there was one point in the game where Iowa had the ball and it was like third and I know exactly I know, what like, play you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, third and Absolutely. eight, third and seven, I don't know, something like that, right? And Petrus didn't have the 
didn't have the pass. He didn't have the throw. And so he takes off running down the right side. And there's a couple of defenders <laughs> closing in on yep, him. Yep. He's probably like four yards short of the of the line to gain. But he could have fought for those yards, trying right. to make a guy miss, right. take the contact, just try to do anything he could to fight for those yards. Yeah. And that motherfucker just dropped to the ground. He slid. He slid. Hard. And it looked like instead of like... It wasn't. It didn't even look like he was really necessarily trying to protect himself so much as like try to draw the contact and hope for the penalty and try to like oh, that's smart that, his way to that. That's first that Brian Ferentz quarterback yeah. coaching. <laughs> it was. I was. I was beside myself when that happened, and I'm so fucking glad he's he's on that team and not ours. Brian Ferentz sounds like the pre-change of heart Emilio Estevez from Mighty Ducks, where it used to be, you know, the kids are like, hey, next time you're pushed against the boards, cover your eye and stomp your foot like the guy gouged you in the eye, and they're like, we're not going to cheat, coach. And then he has the change of heart, and he's like, okay, we're going to play right. Well, yeah. Brian Ferentz is still like, no, you take the dive when the guy's coming at you, and we'll see if we get the call. Yeah, right. We might be four yards short, but, hey, we might also get a penalty. Yeah, that sounds like his strategy, straight up. But I just, anyway, I just imagine Brian Ferentz is just a Tim Robinson. I think you should leave character as well. Like <laughs> he just strikes me as that kind of guy who like says stuff, and you're like, is this guy fucking for real? He's really here. He's yeah. really yep. He's the guy leading the leading the team. He got promoted. <laughs> yeah, he got promoted. Yeah, he failed upwards. Yep, that's it. Oh, um, what were we talking about? Anyway, <laughs> we're, we're, Casey Thompson's run game yeah. Um, was yeah it was on point today, and it was it was. Like you said, it it was a little bit better of a mesh between those two offenses. It's still not perfect. It's not. There was still some like disjointment. It felt like those the opening drives of each half. I think they passed the ball a lot. That felt very Whipple like. Yeah. And they were successful with those when it felt like when they were when they had everything planned out. They were super successful, which is pretty typical of a Frost offense yeah. anyway. But then it didn't sustain. Like they they weren't able to be consistent in that in that, and so they did need Frosts creativity yeah you know i wouldn't even call it creativity i would call it variety yeah i think that okay it's, that it's, might yeah that's probably a better where, better word where less loaded it's not so much about like okay frost is more creative in calling these things but he has the ability to teach the triple option he has the ability to teach quarterback run that maybe whipple has a deficiency there in that sense because he is so focused on throwing the ball so that's what he wants his quarterbacks to work on those are those mechanics where frost mm-hmm. can come in and kind of supplement those types of game calls and be like, hey, no, Casey knows how to run this. And they actually set the option up where they had, I think, a guy go in motion. They wound up handing the ball when the um, other wide receiver behind Casey ran the option direction on the strong side. Like it was it was a really neat setup. And I was like, oh, that's they're setting up the option right now. So they yeah. they run the, the handoff. And then a few plays later, they run the same motion. And instead of it being a handoff, it was that that option that Casey kept and got some good good yardage out of it. Yeah. So that's that's fun to see that they're starting to click together as a as a play calling unit yeah. where Frost can be like, hey, why don't we try? I want to see us try some of this stuff right now, and I think that that just keeps teams off balanced in a in a sense. And, oh, for sure. And I have a note in my notes that says I'm waiting for two things. One of those things is I want to see a full series for Smothers because I really think that that's like a touchdown in the bag, at least once a game. Okay. It's not something you want to use and abuse, but when you see how effective the quarterback run can be, and I know what kind of arm Smothers has, he can make those like up-the-seam throws, he can make those shorter throws, and if teams are getting a little bit more off-balanced because they're having to focus on the quarterback run as well, I think he can hit some vulnerable stuff, almost kind of like what Luke McCaffrey would do um, what was that two years ago, uh, and, and just what he came in and did against Iowa. I think Logan Smothers is a real weapon as well. 
And I think as we get into Big Ten play and we have to start adding in more variety because teams are figuring Nebraska's Frost-Whipple offense out. Whipple-Frost, yeah. however we want to phrase that. Fripple. The Fripple. The yeah. Fripple. Yeah, no, I, do. I like yeah. I like Smothers. I like, yeah, I like that idea. And you you had mentioned that uh, preseason about, you know, him as a weapon, like a special weapon. And, I was and so excited when he came in against Northwestern. I was like, here it is. Here's, here's going to be our one touchdown that we get a game from having him run a series. And then that's it because the, the juice is gone because teams know how to defend that. They've defended Nebraska against that a lot. And it's just right. a matter of what is he doing in this exact play call. And he's always got the option to run. I'm surprised we didn't see it with as often as Casey was going in and out of the, the tent. I thought they might give him a rest and put in a Smothers or a Purdy. I was thinking maybe more so Smothers, but it sounded like Purdy was actually warming up yeah, on the sidelines. Yeah, Purdy was going to be the guy. So it tells me that you know they didn't necessarily have that that game plan. And I know they prepped Smothers for Northwestern. Frost mentioned that in a presser where he was like, "Yeah, we had a a, a package for him." I think he's he's probably yeah. I think he's going to be team specific. You know, if they feel like they identify a defense that they can really use him against. Otherwise, like you said, I think they're going to burn it out. Yeah. And it'll be ineffective or yeah. less effective than it would be. I'm otherwise. just saying, when it happens, if it ever happens, I'm going to claim that I knew it. I'll call into the hotline and congratulate <laughs> you. How about that? So the other uh, thing that I wanted to talk about, there, so my, my two big notes were the Smothers package. Well, <laughs> how big is that note? <laughs> And where's Ramir, man? I I wondered about him. I where's really Ramir? Did. He he got missed on that screen. Okay. And then he came in, went into motion, mm-hmm. didn't see any action. And we saw how effective he could be as a pass catcher out of the backfield. And I just want to see that. And maybe they're holding on to it. Maybe they're waiting for a different game to pull that out. I mean, when Anthony Grant's running the way he's running, I don't know why you would put in Ramir Johnson as a running back just to right. run the ball because obviously you're building this bell cow. But I feel like we've we've heard so much that like he's a weapon. We need to get him in the game more. We need to get him in the game more. Need to get him in the game more. Is he going to ever get in the game more? I'm sure he will. I mean, he's transitioning from he's changing positions essentially, sure. right? I mean, even if he was doing a lot of um like that basic stuff last year and doing it really well, it's still going to be different. He's he's he along with everybody else has transitioned offenses. And so but then he's got a new ish position on top of that and so i'm sure it's going to take some time to get acquainted i imagine that especially with that f- the first game in northwestern you know less time to prepare that probably kept him out of it with north dakota maybe it was like hey we we're gonna use him we don't want to show what we're gonna do yeah yet maybe i mean because yeah. i because I, I can't imagine it would take ramir that long to to get things clicking no not when he was playing i believe his true freshman year as well Last season was his true freshman year, and he was in, wasn't he? I don't, I don't know where he's at, to be honest. Oh, there's. If there's, only there was a way for us to look <laughs> that up. There is. It's <laughs> sitting right next to me. I'm looking at it. And I'm not even going to bother. Regardless, um, he is he is a great asset, and he's so effective out of the backfield uh, on those routes. The wheel route against Michigan is like uh, uh, just burned into my memory as to like mm-hmm. I want to see that again because I think that that could be a real asset to this team. But we also haven't seen a whole lot of the pass to the running back play yet yeah and so you're right it might just be something that's being held on to as a future option it could be or it could be one of those things that like that's just not that's not in what's not what whipple wants to do that's yeah. not maybe what frost wants to do maybe they're it's because they're so focused on marrying these offenses that they're leaving that extra bit that you know the the running back pass game aside right yeah. now but i, I want know. it I do. I really fucking want it because yeah. I love I love Ramir. He was especially the way that they I mean, the way that he worked his way up last year 
Um, the way that they were talking about him this year, you know, I he's not. I imagine he's not feeling slighted or bumped aside. You know, with with these new running backs taking over and and him him being moved to this new position, I don't. It doesn't seem like he took that personally. It seems like he took it in stride and he started working his ass off to you know to contribute on special teams to you know make this new shoe fit. So hopefully we see some of him soon and hopefully we see him successful because I think he deserves it. Yeah. yeah. What else do you have in the offense? Anything else that you want to touch on? Um, I did have I had one play. I had my my offensive play of the game. Yeah. I don't know if you had one in particular. It was mine. Were all the ones where we scored points? The, yeah, the good, yeah. the best ones. <laughs> <laughs> no, my my offensive play of the game though was in the and this was the this was like the this was my tipping point. I think okay. where it was like we can either go the way that Nebraska has gone or we can go the way that we've all wanted and expected Nebraska to go in in these situations and that was in the fourth quarter there's about 10 minutes left and they were up 24 17 okay and they're backed up on their own seven it's third and 14 Casey took a hit near the goal line earlier in this drive and then Benner followed that up with a false start penalty it was looking like shit they were only up seven again so it was like this is it this is where um, we're going to be end up punting out of our own end zone and this is where shit falls apart this is where we're letting this team hang around too long. This is where it finally bites us in the ass. That was when Casey ended up throwing up that fucking duck of a ball, that wobbly-ass ball to Trey Palmer for the 31-yard first down, and, and they ended up going on to score a touchdown, and, and that play in particular stood out. It wasn't a pretty play. It fit pretty well with this game in the sense that it was just kind of ugly, mm-hmm. um, but it worked. That's two weeks in a row where you've seen Palmer really fight for a ball. Yeah. And really yep. fight for yardage and really climb the ladder and go up there and get it. When you look on paper, him transferring in from LSU, him being a punt returner, him being the fastest guy, you don't always associate that with being hard. Yeah. You know what I mean? You don't always associate that with like grinding it out. And this dude, week after week, has now shown, I'm here to grind it out. I'm here to make plays. I'm here to to win games and do everything I can in my power. And... I, 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 again, you know, with the transfer portal, you never know what you're going to get. Why are these guys leaving? Is it because of the school? Is it because of the fit? Is it because of whatever? Yeah. And you just wonder, okay, he's a former four or five star, but that's, that's high school into college. And then does he just not produce? Well, LSU was stacked with wide receiver talent. They're still stacked with wide receiver talent. And he is an asset to our team now. So it was just really nice to see again the kind of person and the kind of player that Palmer is that he is going to fight. And those are the kind of dogs you want on your team. Like those are the guys that you're like, okay, we can build something on this. It, it'd be a missed opportunity. Everyone's going to talk about it, but that offensive line play was not strong today. More penalties, much more, uh, much more penalized than last week. Yep. Wasn't getting much push in the run game. Casey was getting hit way too often. Again, North Dakota was doing a great job on defense to really be a pain in the ass in the backfield and, and get to Casey and stop runs early and that sort of thing. And the defense was really bad at tackling, right? Yeah. yeah. So the reason I say that that's a transition to me, those are two real fundamental effort things that were really off about the team and what is what made the game ugly in that first half. Tackling was bad. Blocking was bad by the offensive line. A lot of people say the the biggest amount of growth that your team has in college football is from week one to week two. And we could say that that was our week zero to week one. We should have had the biggest amount of growth. But I'm curious how difficult the unstated was, which was how difficult do you think it was going from 
a game internationally, international travel, a shortened week, off schedule, playing an opponent that you probably didn't prepare for as heavily as you would, say, a conference game just because they're an FCS team, you're an FBS team, you've never lost to an FCS team. Do you think that factors into the effort? Because I I do. Yeah, I'm just, no, I, I, I don't know about, I mean, maybe not effort, but just because I don't want to say that they weren't giving it their all, but I think it impacts the results of that effort. I think it, I think they're not operating at a hundred percent in terms of their energy level, still adjusting back to this time zone, adjusting to the fact that they, that they lost that first game, you know, getting over those mental hurdles as well. So yeah, no, I, that definitely had an impact on this game. And, 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 you know, when we talked about it last week in our preview, you know, we discussed the, the fact that, yeah, they're very well, could be and probably will be a sluggish start yeah I didn't I thought it would be a sluggish start I didn't think it'd be a sluggish half or I guess I, I you know I, I didn't expect to be tied at the half by any stretch of the imagination sure. um, it was a little bit more than than what I thought but it, it adds up it yeah it absolutely adds up so the delusion of the Kool-Aid drinking fan me tells me that the poor offensive line play and the bad defensive tackling makes me optimistic <laughs> Moving forward, yeah. because I feel like, okay, we're going to clean that up now with a full week, with full time to prepare. We had a normal-timed game, a, a 2.30 game. It's not like a late game, so we have the real rest Saturday before looking at the game Sunday and, and moving forward on that front. We're going to get to prepare in a traditional sense with an opponent who we've seen play. We know what they want to do with their offense. We've seen them uh, attack offensively the way that is designed. So I feel like even though the defense did not tackle well, the offensive line did not block well, with this full week of preparation, we're going to see the growth that you would normally see between your first week of play and your second week of play between our second week of play and third week of play. Yeah, there is hands down less weirdness surrounding this next game yeah. and the week leading up to it, Yeah, for sure. So I would full expect that. And they're coming off of a win, like a, a confidence-building type win. Uh, you you know you got dragged down in the mud by this team. Their offense, North Dakota's offense, was not good, and Nebraska's defense I think was a lot better than what it looked like. If that makes sense, like yeah, it was ugly. They got down and they they fought in a game that North Dakota dictated essentially by the way that they played their offense. But our I think our yeah I just think our defense did better, and I think moving forward, um, again they were there on all those plays. Like they were there to make the tackles. They just need to make them now. Yeah. And and that changed in the second half. Yeah, it did. It did and and um, you know, Garrett Nelson, his energy I think really shone through. And I think guys kind of finally caught on to that. You saw O'Shawn Matthew and Caleb Tanner kind of taking off in that second half there yeah. and generating that pass rush. So it's I've I'm on board with you hundred percent. I'm I'm drinking too much Kool-Aid, honestly. <laughs> I'm trying to remind myself it's one game. Again, it was it was ugly, but I but it was ugly to experience, to go through, yeah. but looking back, it was not as bad as it seemed. Yeah, you know, people always say, oh, the, the score was that, I mean, that, the game was closer than the score dictates, or or the game wasn't as close as that score looked. Like, you could have been in control that whole game or something. The score is still the score, right? Nebraska was still able to put up 38 points, which is, I think, an area where they want to be yeah. on, a, on a season average. They were still able to accomplish that when they weren't playing at their best, when they weren't operating at their fullest. And they held the team to 17 points that in the first half, I thought this was going to potentially be a blow-for-blow kind of game. Right. You thought it was going to go back and forth. Um, 
And and the, the defense gave up 17, but you know, seven of them came off of a very short field off the the interception that Casey threw. So again, yeah, I I think our defense did better than what people gave them credit for, and a huge part of that is because they were missing those tackles still yeah. because they got off to that slow start because I think people including myself expected way too much from the pass rush um, expected way too much from a unit in the in the secondary that have not worked together that don't have a ton of game experience yet they were playing without a couple of linebackers I think uh, Ernest Hausman had to start it in yeah. inside so yeah you know it's funny uh, with not funny I guess but without Henrik in there Reimer almost isn't as free to make as many plays as he normally does. You know, he was more of a general and and plugging holes and things like that. Whereas in in last week's game, Reimer's name was being called as the tackler. You know, it felt like every third tackle or something like that. And because he had to fill in those shoes and really guide Hausman and stuff like that, Hausman was able to be more on the attack and he had to be that field general. Mm -hmm. And I think that if Heinrich's able to come back for the next game, I think we'll see that shift go back where the linebacker plays actually a little bit more improved. The tackling might be a little bit more improved, but Hausman was where he needed to be. Yes, he just yeah. needs to work on tackling. Same as everybody else. Yeah, on that defense, absolutely. Right? And I and I think what's kind of going off your point, it's it's tough for us because we know the urgency of this season. We know how important each and every game is, and each and every moment is, and how the team looks matters just as much as whether they win or whether they lose to this fan base to a lot of people that are following this program and fuck <laughs> did you lose it no i know i didn't lose it okay it was i think it was a decent point what did you say <laughs> <laughs> fuck if i remember you were you all i remember was that you were saying is that that the the way that it looks the way that they win matters oh yeah okay okay no i know what i was gonna say okay we're expecting Nebraska to be in midseason form the first two games in, and we're not going to be. We're not going to be a midseason Wisconsin, a midseason Iowa, our first two games when we have to work our way up to that. So I'm giving myself a little bit of a slap on the wrist for being like, hey, your expectations, like you said, they're a little too high for this team to meld because they don't have the secondary they had last year to meld with, and that's a really crucial component in those linebackers being able to play fast and free and that defensive line to get back there and play fast and free, they have to also worry about then the ball getting behind them. So as that improves and as that communication, you saw a lot of that communication going on on the field. Like you really saw them working to communicate and get the right shift and be in the right spot on defense. And you don't normally see that in teams, right? That feels almost like it's fluid and it just happens where there was a lot of shouting yeah, and a lot of like, you're lot. supposed to be fucking right there. And, yeah. like, and then as the game progressed, that started to happen more naturally. Mm -hmm. And and so I think that that's just those growing pains of having a lot of new blood in the secondary. There was a specific play that I want to call out, and that was on Mathis's first sack. The defensive backs were shifting in coverage beautifully. They were picking up receivers seamlessly. So one guy would hit his zone, and then the other guy was already there and waiting. They were anticipating the shifts. They were anticipating guys coming through. And if you get a chance to watch the replay, the camera crews actually were in the end zone shooting towards the action, and they caught the shifting of the secondary. And it was just this really nice ballet where everyone was where they were supposed to be. And I was like, okay, we're starting to see that amalgamation. We're starting to see everyone get in their groove. 
and we're starting to see this defense kind of come into itself, and it just so happened to correlate when they became dominant in that second half, late in the second half, and didn't let North Dakota score any more points. Yeah, just to, I need to, I need to talk a little bit more. I need to throw some numbers out there. Yeah, talk yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to talk about the defense because I need to preface my my confident prediction going into Georgia Southern. Okay, um, I, and the only reason I threw out my favorite play is because it went with what I was saying. Okay, so that's I don't the only know. So. It's yeah, pre- it's this is it's all predicated on this defense because again, I they I think were a lot better than what they looked like. So okay, so our our defense had had those early struggles against North Dakota, and and if you want to chalk it up to effort, you can. Um, I think that did play into it, but I also think that North Dakota had a really great scheme for making this an ugly game, not for winning the game, but just making it ugly. And then hoping they could hang around long enough, break a couple big plays, maybe produce those turnovers uh, on their own defense to you know swing the score, and they did it really well. Um, they just never broke those big plays. They had they had that one run that went for like sixty some yards, and even after that, Nebraska, you know, shut things down in the red zone, held them to a field goal. And so, you, if you take away just that one big play. They had 112 yards rushing on 32 attempts, which is a three and a half yard average, which is which is good. Yeah, you take that in conference any day oh, of the week. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then p- passing the ball, they threw the ball 37 times, completed 24 of them, which was 65 percent, which was like right in line with uh, Schuster's percentage from last year. But he only got 131 yards total passing, which again, 3.5 yards per attempt, which sure. is fucking terrible. But they, they were that's all they were doing. They kept attacking the sidelines, throwing these short little short little plays. They were they were t- taking the pressure away from Schuster, not allowing Nebraska to generate that pressure. They never took deep shots down the field. Um, well, they didn't have time. They didn't they didn't have time. They wouldn't have and they knew that, right? So again, they schemed this. They possessed the ball for fucking ever. <laughs> like it was twenty stupid. minutes in the first half. Yeah. And so once um but in the second half it was a lot more balanced, right? Because again, Nebraska's defense started to dictate the terms a little more against their offense and so the fact that you could see exactly what North Dakota was trying to do and the fact that it never came to fruition for them like fully came to fruition for them I thought was a huge positive for this defense yeah for a young team that again was trying to work through those communication issues and trying to make those stops for every missed tackle there were still a couple guys right there yeah. to, to shore things up. So, yeah, we should have had way more tackles for loss. Ended up being two, three, four-yard gains, Yeah, which you'll take as well. You're not giving up the big plays. And so, again, I th- and, I, and so looking forward now to, to Georgia Southern, who we'll get into, I think they're going to come up with a similar game plan. I think that's the way that their offense is structured with, with their quarterback and all that. But we'll talk about that a little later. Yeah. Do you have a favorite play? From the defense, I do, I do. Well, so uh, Nelson Stripsack was obviously obviously a big one. That was nice to see him, you know, his his effort pay off, and and if that felt like it was gonna really turn the game, it didn't entirely right, right. there. But my, my play that I want to point out was Tommy Hill. Um, oh, I got his, a note right there. Dude, baby. Yeah, yeah. I lo- so on that that fourth and ten late in the game, um, he had a holding penalty earlier on the drive. He came back. Um, the wide receiver had the ball in their hands over the middle for the first down, and you you could just watch him yep. come through, follow through on that coverage, get his hand on the ball, and just just bop it out of there. So, I believe he did that a few times against Northwestern too. The guy has no quit. 
Yeah. Right? Even if the guy's got the ball in his hands, if they're not coming down to the ground with it yet, he's going to keep trying to just get that thing out of there. He's like an annoying toddler when you got (laughs) cake or something like that, right? They just want it. And he's got that drive to just keep fighting for it. And I I wrote the exact same thing down. Yeah, you can see why Travis Fisher is excited about him and his potential. It's it's definitely there. So I just thought that was that was a great play. Obviously, that was critical because that gave Nebraska the ball back. They put put in their final touchdown to you know really put the game away. That's how you put a game away and seal yeah. it. Um, you let your players go out there and make plays. So. That was Chance's touchdown, by the way. Was that last touchdown? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. That was that was a great play call. Right, and it's one of those where you're like, oh, they're just going to keep running it. They're just going to keep running it. And they throw the pass for the touchdown, it was, and you're kind of like, yeah. yeah <laughs> we could have ran it some more, you know. We didn't I think have- they had run the ball like 10 times in the row. Yeah, but Whipple's just like, out. i got to fucking pass the ball. <laughs> i got to do it. He's sitting there <laughs> like just smacking a vein. <laughs> Scott, let me do one. <laughs> Go for it, Whip. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I do also want to give credit to North Dakota, like you said. They, they really pulled us down into the mud and yeah. I, I just wrote down six guys that I thought played a hell of a game for them and that was Schuster, Hoosman, Wilson, Smith, Belquist, and Meg. All six of those guys, their names were being called constantly. They were making plays. They were making defenders miss. They were they were always fighting and again, I think I mentioned this last week that this was going to be the kind of game that Husker fans hopefully come out with the win, which we did, yeah. but they can also look at the opposing team and be like, God damn, I respect them coming in and trying to ruin our party. You know, that's that's good football in, in my mind when you have to face adversity and overcome it. And we've seen a lot of that this weekend. There's been some really good football starting on Thursday, Friday, and, and today. And um, unfortunately, Iowa was able to overcome their adversity. God damn it. Yeah. For one game. They got a long, they I have mean, a long I mean, season. I mean, that's one way to score seven points. <laughs> It's so insane. Okay. Their punter has to be a Heisman candidate at this point. I think he was the commentators incredible. joked about that. They were like, here's his Heisman <laughs> yeah. campaign kicking off. For real. I actually got like, I was like really, the I was excited to watch their punter. I, I watched an interview of him and he's actually like, he seems like a very great guy. He's an Aussie sure. and, and, and he, he has a really great respect for punting, for punting the ball and you you see that obviously in his game. It's yeah. incredible. It's also incredible that Iowa just leaned on him the entire game. It was like, fuck it. We're just gonna keep burying them on the two <laughs> over and over and over. Uh, again. Another safety. <laughs> another safety. Phenomenal. You start to feel bad. I mean, even more so for South Dakota. It's like safety is like the worst way to get points. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It feels like the dirtiest way. It's like, give him a fucking break, man. <laughs> God. So anyways, I think good things are to come for North Dakota. I think that they're going to have a better year this year than they did last year. Bubba Schweigert sounds like a great coach uh, in, in interviews with him and, and yeah. seeing the way that he handles that team. And he was, I don't want to say he was cordial on the sideline because that feels like an insult to a coach. Like it almost sounds demeaning. Like, oh, he was so cordial. But he had a really nice sideline demeter where, I mean, I think he really cares for his kids. He really cares about the program. And they seem to be doing things the right way, aside from targeting twice. But, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And then paying off the refs to get away with it. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote in my notes, I don't know what targeting is, but that was definitely it. (laughs) (laughs) So special teams, is there anything you wanted to mention special teams wise? Wow. Yeah, actually. Let me see if I can find my sheet. Hang on. Normally, I'm way more organized than this. That's all right. I also had my... Oh, okay. Wait. I had my windows down. 
Oh, there it is. I had my windows down on the way over. Like, all oh, my windows down. It was beautiful down. outside. It was, it was gorgeous. And I was just cruising down Q Street. Did you listen to anything good? Um, I was listening to, like, the Raconteurs. I was okay. listening to White Stripes. Just grooving. Greta Van Fleet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. My favorite little rock tunes. Grooving along. A um, little bit bluesy. A little bit awesome. And all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, I just see this, like, <laughs> white flurry. <laughs> and all my notes are just... <laughs> billowing up out of the passenger seat and so i have to like like you know like slam them back down in the seat and i'm trying to like you know drive and lean and uh all that and so i don't and i really abused my notes like i had to fold them and like sit on them after that because yeah you know. um but anyway notes. what yeah. huh <laughs> <laughs> that, that. <laughs> Oh, that one got me off guard. So when I was 16 and I first got my car, my parents got me one of those CD holders for your visor. And yeah. I put it on backwards and I made a turn one time with my window open <laughs> and all my CDs just shot out the window. <laughs> just oh. like, you know, and oh, CDs were what, 20 bucks a pop back back then. They, were legi- yeah, they, weren't, ex- it, they yeah. weren't cheap. And I just saw it just do, 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 oh, do. No, I was man. like, oh, that was supposed to go the other direction. <laughs> so when you turn, they fall into your car, not out the window. <laughs> So I, I feel your pain. It's so yeah, yeah, yeah. Special teams. All right, special teams. Let's talk about it. So okay, so I had, I had the good was uh, Bleak Road recovered from his early miss. Yeah, right. And you like to see that forty-six yard field goal. That's pushing his range. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they talked about how you know once you get closer to that fifty-yard field goal, they're going to put Frankie in. Yeah. So it was nice to see him recover from that. Realistically, do you think Frankie could make an eighty-yarder? I think he's got the leg. He probably could. <laughs> I feel like yeah, he's he'd come out with like a cigarette in his mouth and be like, just like shotgun a Red Bull and then <laughs> Red Bull. Boom. It ain't gonna be a Red yeah. Bull, <laughs> my guy. Yeah. He's a local. It ain't gonna be a Red Bull. Might be a red beer. It ain't a Red yeah. Bull. <laughs> I think he could do it. He could do it. Yeah. I'd like to see him try. I do too. Honestly, with the way that uh, special teams decisions are going, who the hell knows? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's got the friggin' leg though. He, yeah, sorry, he's got a fucking yes. Boot, Bleak Road did have a nice recovery, and I don't hate the miss. You know what I mean? It wasn't like yeah. it was a chip shot. It was a legit. It was yeah, try. it was thirty five plus or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Better. I think Bushini continues to be an asset. Yes, and I'm I'm just happy to have him. The the bad was a miscommunication by Grant. Um, I don't and whoever else was on the return on this kickoff where they kind of crossed wires, cross paths. Yeah. Um, and that was a near miss, but nothing came of it. Terrible was the was Lever on the on the punt touching that ball. <sighs> Just not like not having the situational awareness to just leave that ball alone. Yeah, that's just one of those things where it's like that's why you have a coordinator now is to 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 yell at him when he comes <laughs> off the field and ream him. Yeah, no, to to yell at him before. Yeah, um, to make sure, hey, don't you know if in this situation, this is what we do. Um, so that those sorts of things, like those little miscommunications, those not being fully aware of the of you know what to do in situations, is just. That's the stuff that's frustrating because that that does like that's the player's responsibility to know that stuff, but it's the coach's responsibility to make sure that they know that shit. I wonder I wonder how many times though that situation has at, where like how many times has Bill Bush been like, I can't believe I have to fucking say this, but don't touch the ball when the other team is surrounding it. If and you it's a- if you watched and I assume Bill Bush watched Nebraska's games last year. He should assume nothing about this team. Remember in kindergarten when they taught you <laughs> how to like tell directions to someone and like write down how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Yeah. And they they were like, okay, 
spread the peanut butter on the bread, spread the jelly on the bread, put it together. And then the teacher just had to follow those directions verbatim. And so they're like yes. spreading it with their hands or they're like, they're trying to get the knife, but the lid's not open yet. And so it's like, mm-hmm. teach, okay, that's how I feel like in certain situations. It's like, okay, did we not tell him to screw the lid off, peel the <laughs> right. foil back, spread it on with one knife, get a different whatever, you know? So I just, that was like, <sighs> yeah, that one was painful. Luckily, again, luckily nothing bad, you know, came from it, which which we've seen uh, bad things happen when they make those mental errors. So yeah. that feels like where, you know, every, you know, maybe said like Nebraska is an unlucky team. That's where like it feels like, OK, maybe we've got luck on our side because we're still making these terrible decisions. But now, you know, we're not suffering the consequences. Yeah. But we'll see. So, I, I mean, I, I imagine that they'll continue to shore that up. And then the weird... Was the onside-ish so squib. kick? It was a squib. Okay. It was a squib. Frost squib. clarified that it was not an onside attempt. It was meant to be a squib, and it was meant to get better field position for them. They weren't attempting to, like, get the ball. Okay. It was not an attempt to get the ball back. It was an attempt to pin them back deep. Gotcha. It just happened that Frankie... It just... He just drilled drive the dude. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I wondered about that, because then... And, I, I, and fif- being on, like, what were they on, the 50 or something like that, like... It's not a bad call in that situation. I think that's a good call. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I do remember like seeing Bill Bush when Frankie was coming off. Like you could lip read, and he was like, "What was that?" It looked like that's what he said. What was that? Something like that. So and so that's why I was like, "How?" Like in that moment, because I'm so like I'm so just assuming that the that the worst. I always assume the worst in that situation because I've been fucking conditioned that way. But anyway, so so I was like, "How? Like how does Bill Bush not know what that was?" Like. You know, how is he, but, now I, yeah. Now that you say that, and, I, and I'm aware of that, that makes a lot more sense. I don't think Frankie put the ball where it was supposed to go. Yeah. He just he just nailed the guy. But I don't hate that call. I right. actually was thinking to myself, I bet they're going to, like, pooch this somehow yeah. so that they can, like, try and pin him. Try and, yeah, yeah, drive him inside the 20. Or yeah, scare yeah. him to where they might bobble the ball, muff the kick, something like that. Like Because you can get your coverage team down yeah, so yeah, yeah. much quicker. So so that to me was a it was a great call, right? Yeah. Take advantage of it, take the penalty on the kickoff. Awesome. Yeah. Um does it eliminate the the fair catch if it hits the ground? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, okay. So that's that why that's difference. why the yeah. the tomfoolery that happened on that one kickoff was such a uh, with a taggy having to drop on top of it while we had the mm-hmm. ball uh you know behind the twenty. So cool. All right. Well, there you go. So did, that's the did, game. Did you have special teams? Um, to- I just I just said, like, I love Buscini and I love Frankie. Yeah. Like, Frankie to me is just like, his name's Frankie. Like, his last name's Frankie. And it's he just kicks the ball. Yeah, that's it. Like, like Little Giants, too. If he, if, like, the, of course the <laughs> kicker would be named Frankie. He'd yeah. have no first name, last name. It would just be Frankie. Yeah. His jersey would be Frankie. <laughs> They'd call him Frankie. His mom's name's probably Frankie. <laughs> right. And they're like, are you just all Frankie? And they're like, Frankie. Frankie. That's his only line or something. Frankie like that. rules. Yeah, yeah. So no, that's that's all I have for this game. Uh, again, just to to recap, North Dakota did a great job coming in, like you said, trying to pull us down into the mud, make it dirty, make us fight for everything. Nebraska responded really well. This was a one score game in the fourth quarter, and then it blew up. And that's what you want to see, right? That's how you want to pull away. And even though it was uh, an opponent that people are going to feel like, man, we should have ran all over them, us included, it was nice to see Nebraska respond properly instead of fall into the mindset that probably all the fans were having while watching that game. Yeah. I hope that's everybody's takeaway. I know that there are people who have written this team off already after one loss. You know, obviously we've suffered through 
those feelings. Yeah. But hopefully people can see the the good side of this because I really think that there that this was a huge improvement despite what the first half looked like. Uh, you hear a lot of comments about like, well, this team just needs to you know learn to go through advers- adversity and win. They need to have that tough game and win. So it had to come against North Dakota. Yeah. But we, they fucking, they did hit. Yeah. You know what I mean? So hopefully, hopefully, um, yeah, hopefully people are just feeling good and just fucking be, be happy for this team. Be happy that they, that they finally had all those pieces come together when they needed to. Um, and people made, they made the plays, they made the, the, the calls that needed to be made. And I do want to say as well, I don't think it's wrong to have the feelings of frustration and the feelings of, man, this again, but I also think that you got to recognize the good when it comes to, right? You can't just be like, nope, I don't, uh, uh, no, that doesn't count because it's an, against this opponent or something like that. Yeah. No, it they count. It counts. It counts. Yeah. It's, a, it's a win. And it's a win that they had to go out and earn. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Got a W, baby. Back to 500. Yeah. Woo-hoo. All right. Before we move on, we want to take a quick moment to talk about our show partner, the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild. As we mentioned at the top of the show, Wannabe Walk-Ons is the official podcast of the NCBG. We do our show with no outside funding or advertising because we don't want to take away from what it's all about. Beer, football, and celebrating the communities we love. Our partnership with the Guild is not a paid partnership. It's simply a platform to share our show with folks that we think will enjoy the things that we're talking about. This past winter, the Guild was instrumental in passing legislation that would allow Nebraska brewers to self-distribute limited quantities of their beer without the need for a middleman. This new law allows the smaller brewers a chance to compete locally with some of the bigger craft breweries in this state. This is a huge step forward for a lot of breweries in small towns like Taylor, Alliance, Seward, and Syracuse, just to name a few. When you drink craft beer, you're supporting local small businesses, which is important now more than ever. If you're a fan of craft beer like we are, you can support the NCBG by joining the Nebraska Beer Alliance. Being a member gives you access to exclusive discounts, Nebraska beer merch, and members-only information. <laughs> I saw the head bob before the word came information. out. Information. <laughs> I knew it was coming. You can learn more about the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild find local breweries, and join the Nebraska Beer Alliance by visiting nebraska.beer. So, Drew, do you know what time it is? Time to talk about this beer that it we're drinking. It is time to talk about this beer. You know, last week we had a nice barrel-aged beer to start the episode. Yes. This <laughs> week we're going to have a nice barrel-aged beer to cap the episode yeah and this beer is called stone learn learn from i'm sorry learn from experience (laughs) (laughs) don't drink heavily to start when you have work ahead yes yeah end it so this is called stone the crow it is a blend of barley wines aged for two years in port and bourbon barrels and i believe it (laughs) this is lovely Yes. And I have to thank you deeply for going down to Lincoln to pick these bottles up. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you sent a message about this beer being released to me. And I was like, well, I guess I'm rearranging my schedule to make the trip to Lincoln. Uh, when I say rearrange my schedule, I mean I asked my wife to find a babysitter <laughs> so that we could drive out there. <laughs> and so, yeah, so we went and picked it up. Because, like I said, I, I love White Elm. I think they are an incredible incredible brewery and if you haven't had their stuff you can find them in the stores but you know i recommend going to the yeah to their uh tap house one of them 
and just trying what they have on on tap there. Um, but they do a lot of these special releases. This is, I think, probably maybe what they're becoming known for, or maybe what they um, are trying to specialize in. It seems like uh, they just this is what they do. Yeah, they do such a phenomenal job. Yeah, with with these special like the the barrel aged, you know, these big beers. It is a hundred percent worth the trip every time. And so I would I would make it if I had to drive to the moon and back. And you can't. You'd need a rocket <laughs> ship for that. I would build Idiot. one. Damn it. <laughs> this the, no. This this beer is phenomenal. It, yes. It's 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 really big on the nose, like really potent. So mm-hmm. I was I was a little little apprehensive from that, but it's smooth as hell. I picked up a ton on the toffee. You said cherry, cherry, and I'm getting yeah. pepper. Oh, okay. cherry and pepper. Yeah. Uh, I think that's coming through from the port. Right, yeah. the toffee's from the bourbon. The port's gonna add some of those fruit notes, some of those mm-hmm. spice notes, and they blend really well together. Yeah, I've never had a a a beer that was barrel aged in both bourbon and port. I haven't either, and so this is a new experience. It's blended and I am very well. Loving yeah. it. Yeah, this to me is what craft beer is about: is these singular releases, these special releases, where everyone gets to get super hyped about it because. When the brewery knows they've got something good and they can hype it up and they can crush it, mm-hmm. man, that is the kind of experience I want where I just, I know I'm going into something where I'm going to be so happy. Yes. Yeah. And if White Elm is doing it, you know it's going to be yes. phenomenal. Yeah. There's there's a handful of breweries that I trust with things like this. Mm-hmm. And we're fortunate that in the state of Nebraska, we've got a few close by. Oh, yeah. And White Elm, this is the first I've had of their kind of a bottle release or something along those lines. And now I'm going to be bugging you all the damn time. Like, <laughs> hey, you don't happen to have like Friday off, do you? Because I'm, I might need to send you down to Lincoln to go drink. I do now. Yeah. <laughs> what, oh. what a special beer, man. What a, what a great beer. Yeah, this really is. It's two years in the making and, uh, you know, worth, worth the wait. Yeah. Obviously, I didn't wait for it, you know, but. <laughs> two uh, years in the making. For them, yeah. Drinking it in my basement. <laughs> the way God uh, intended. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you again, and and cheers to White Elm Brewing Company. These are excellent beers. We're so lucky to have them in Nebraska. It's been an incredible six-year run for them thus far, and I hope for many more years to come for for White Elm. And I hope that they expand beyond the state and that other people are able to enjoy them just beyond our borders. Yeah, and and hearing Kirby's story um, was cool because it's he he had that like instant passion for home brewing. You know, something sparked inside of him, but then he went to fucking work. Right. Like he yeah. worked his way up. Um, he just f- he just found his way um, and, and sort of, you know, built upon that that passion, which uh, if you want to be successful in anything, obviously, that's that's what it's all about. So I'm glad that he's got that in him <laughs> so that I can drink, you know, yeah. what he produces. That yeah. He went to work so that we can go to work, <laughs> baby. <laughs> Well, let's keep the good times rolling. Let's move into talking about Georgia Southern. This is a game I'm very excited for. I think it's going to be a fun game. I think it's going to be a good game. It's going to be probably another stressful game, but I think it's going to be a game that really shows both what our team is made of and what this Georgia Southern team is going to be made of moving forward. I'm going to hit you with just the facts, then we'll move into talking about Georgia Southern's offense, defense, and special teams. So, the Georgia Southern University Eagles face their first FBS opponent of the season at Memorial Stadium in Lincoln, Nebraska against 1-1 Nebraska Cornhuskers. Kickoff is scheduled for 6.30 p.m. Central Time and is set to air on FS1. Nebraska is led by head coach Scott Frost in his fifth season. He holds a 16-30 record as the Huskers head coach. 
Georgia Southern is led by head coach Clay Helton in his first season. Georgia Southern is 1-0 under the leadership of Helton, getting their first win this weekend. This marks the first meeting between these two teams, so let's start talking about it. Drew, tell me a little bit about Georgia Southern's offense, what you're looking at when it comes to this game. Um, I honestly think that Georgia Southern is going to be pretty similar to North Dakota in what they want to do. They've got um, they've got Kyle Van Trees who transferred in from Buffalo. He's a very experienced quarterback. Um, he's going to be the guy that you look for high high efficiency in terms of completion rate, but not necessarily like a, a you know the the guy that's going to win you the game. He's a he's the manager type. Um, and Nebraska is familiar with him. You know we saw that game plan from them or from Buffalo when he was playing for them, and so I think. You know, Georgia Southern, they're they're with Clay Helton and a new coaching staff. Um, they're going to be feeling their way still into the season, feeling their way into their, you know, what they want to do on offense and how they're going to, you know, generate points. And so I think that we will see a little bit conservative. I think we're going to see them again attacking the edges just like North Dakota did, getting the ball into the hands of their playmakers and trying to, like, you know, break those big plays against this Nebraska defense. I'm really glad that you brought up the passing attack. The only stats that I really wrote down have to do with the way that Clay Helton has attacked in the past versus how Georgia Southern attacked in the past as well. And I have this little section called Clay Helton versus the ghosts of Georgia Southern's past. So Georgia Southern ran the shotgun option last season. They've ran the triple option in the past. And so they've been evolving throughout the different styles of the option run. So they haven't been a pass happy team. Now, when it comes to what Georgia Southern did last year, they had 45 rushing attempts per game. USC in Clay Hilton's last full season would only rush 30 times on average per game. Georgia Southern would get 4.3 yards per carry. USC would get 3.2 yards. Georgia Southern would average 193 yards per game. USC would average under 197 yards. Georgia Southern had 22 touchdowns. USC had eight rushing touchdowns. So there's definitely a disparity between the kind of players they have from last year moving forward versus what Clay Helton likes to do from a rushing attack. When you flip that on its head and you look at the passing, the numbers are just as glaring. Georgia Southern would throw 23 times a game with 12 completions a game. That was their average. Whereas with USC, they would throw 44 times a game and complete 30 of those. So Clay Helton's offense, like you said, is is very much about making great passes or or steady passes where you're getting constant completions, their run game is basically short passes that get your playmakers out in space. Georgia Southern averaged one interception a game. USC averaged 1.16 interceptions, so pretty much a wash there where that's pretty average. The difference being that the yards per game were 319 for USC and 147 for Georgia Southern through the air. So you're more than doubling their output. When you compare that to Kyle Van Treese, I actually think he's a questionable recruit. Why did they bring him in specifically? Now, he's a six-year guy. He's had experience at the collegiate level. He's had experience against Nebraska. So not a bad guy to bring in as far as experience goes. But he, on average, threw 26 times per game. Again, USC threw 44 times a game. He would only have 16 completions when USC would have 30. He would throw 0.6 interceptions per game, so not a bad interception record. Uh, 7.1 yards per attempt average, so matching up at the 7.3 that, that USC threw. But he would only average 186 yards per game. It's a lot of numbers to basically say. Kyle Van Trees to me, is an interesting option. He has somewhat of the completion percentage and the yards per attempt that Clay Helton likes to find in his offense. 
but he hasn't been relied upon the way that Clay Helton is going to rely upon him as a quarterback this season. Their first game against Morgan State, he was able to keep up with the numbers that Clay Helton wanted. But I'm just curious how that's going to last throughout an entire season and what happens when your quarterback is having an off day. Yeah, I think he I think he brought him in just for the experience sake. I think, you know, Clay's not going to try to build Rome in a day. And so you, you bring in a guy that you can you can trust to protect the ball, to be smart with it, to, again, just distribute the ball. He's just there to distribute the ball. And so, you know, Clay Helton, you know, he's working with the pieces that he's got. I don't think he's going to be able to, to run the exact same offense. There is going to be some, you know, some leeway either way, you know, a middle ground that he's going to have to find to find success. And I think that Van Trees was probably just like the best option that he could get to give him a guy that, again, could just provide something that was maybe steady. Sure. Yeah, I think stability is the best way to look at Kyle Van Trees. He was actually not that bad against Nebraska. He actually threw 52 times against Nebraska. So he did get the ball out of his hands. His completion percentage, I think, was right around 50%. So he didn't play above his average as far as completion went, but he did play above as far as attempts. So I expect Van Trees to be efficient in the passing game, but I just don't know if he's having an off day or if he's just not in a rhythm. I don't think this Georgia Southern offense can really keep up because they really live or die based on how well they're throwing the ball in in the Clay Helton offense. Right, right. Is there anyone else other than Van Trees that you're I slurred so bad on that? Did you? Okay. <laughs> Is there anyone else? I my my brain on equal footing with yours unslurred it. <laughs> Just evened it right Is back there out. anyone else that you are particularly? <laughs> I did it. Put on a nice little British so accent. Is, is there anyone else that you're looking at as far as their offense goes that you're going to keep an eye on? Um, I'm just I'm looking at um, guys like Caleb Hood at yeah. receiver. You know, like those those speedy guys who can break away. If, if Nebraska is, you know, not making their tackles, um, if that first guy's missing and, and you know, whoever else isn't behind them, they're going to have the potential to, again, break those plays open. And I, I think that any sort of success that they might find early on is just going to encourage them to push it a little further and go a little harder. And they have, I think, better pieces than North Dakota to do that. I think the, yeah. that they're going to be more comfortable taking maybe a deep shot here or there and, and really testing Nebraska's defense, whereas North Dakota was... They were kind of... I, I feel like North Dakota was just waiting in the water they were just kind of treading water to make sure to to wait for something to open up for them kind of like an interesting blend like a progression between northwestern being a team that wants to play their game and you've got to meet them where they are north dakota was also on that same kind of wavelength where we're gonna we're gonna pass the ball but you got to meet us on our level and then georgia southern's like we're gonna use a similar game plan but we're gonna be a little bit more aggressive i think they will be yeah and they got nothing to lose right like you know they're coming in they want to take a shot at the big guy you know clay helton's not a bad coach he was successful at usc despite getting fired and again they i think they've got just enough pieces to make it interesting and nebraska if they come out you know, the same way they did against North Dakota, they can get into another dogfight. Yeah, not a not a team that I want to come out flat against right. in this Georgia Southern. You got to remember, Georgia Southern is also in a conference with Coastal Carolina, with the Raging Cajuns in Louisiana. Like they've they've got some competition that has started to climb the ranks and be noticeable. And with yeah. the new college football playoff expansion, these are going to be teams that now are going to start to get recruits out of the Louisiana, the Georgia, the Florida, because they're not going to be left behind. Yeah, their conference and their particularly their division within that conference is 
really taken a, a step up as they've expanded. It's a, you know, it's a small, it's a small conference, but it's in the South. Like it's a, it's a growing conference in terms of talent and ability. Yeah. It's almost kind of like when you see all these Dakota teams, South Dakota, North Dakota, getting the players that didn't quite get on the radar of the Nebraska, the Iowa, the Missouris for whatever reason. But then there are these players that go up, they get coached up, they've got a chip on their shoulder, they play their asses off, and then they wind up winning national championships for <laughs> yeah. a Dakota team. Well, these Sunbelt teams are a similar sense, right? You get Georgia guys or you get Florida guys who they want to stay close to home, work their way into it, but they're talented football players as well. And they're able to make their way in, and now you've got this these skill guys that are just crushing it in the Sunbelt. Yeah, and you have, you have coaches on that um, along that same wavelength who are, who are, you know, maybe they've, they've made it to the power five. They didn't succeed there. They've come back, but they're in this like recruiting hotbed. They know, they know what they're doing, right? Like they're good coaches in a good part of the country. So yeah, it's all, it's all setting up. I'm actually, I really like the Sun Belt in terms of like just what they are as a conference. Yeah. I think that Georgia Southern is a quality school, quality program coming out of there. I think Clay Helton is an incredible hire for them. Yeah. So they, you know, they played Morgan State tonight. I tried to watch as much of it as I could. They started off a little bit slow, which you would expect them to. Yep. Um, it's obviously their first game to, with with Clay Helton. Um, they're playing in the rain. They were heavy, heavy favorites against this Morgan State program. So they got off to a slow start, but then they ended up just, you know, rolling away, finding their rhythm. And Offensively, they were incredibly impressive yeah. against Morgan State. When you look at the defensive side of the ball, so let's flip over and talk about that. Yeah. Morgan State kind of shot themselves in the foot a lot. When you look back, even if you don't even watch the game, but you look at the box score, they just weren't putting the ball where it needed to go. They were throwing the ball a lot, a lot of incomplete passes. They only completed 10 passes. And so Georgia Southern was able to get the ball back quite a bit. They were able to get good field position. They had fairly decent starting field position on most of their drives. Uh, In the second half, they were starting like almost on the 50 a few times, their own 38, their own 40 in that range. They didn't have a whole lot to go. The game statistically, I think they threw for like 300 yards around there. Mm -hmm. So it's not like it was a crazy statistical game from the offensive side of the ball, but defensively, they got a lot of help from Morgan State. Right. And defensively, I think is where Georgia Southern has maybe more questions than their offense does. Uh, How do you feel about about that? I didn't write down anything about their defense. You didn't? (laughs) No. Well, would you like to know some stuff about their defense? I would love to hear about their defense from you. Okay, so I have two names that I think you need to know about their defense. Okay. The first name is Will Harris. Okay. Okay. Will Harris is their defensive coordinator slash defensive backs coach. His previous stop was at Washington, where he coached a top five secondary for two years. This is his first stop as a defensive coordinator, so there may be struggles on the defensive front, but expect good on good when Nebraska's receivers face off against the secondary. So Georgia Southern runs a 4-2-5. Okay. Right? They're leaning on their strength, which is their secondary. Right. They're not so much worried about having a great front seven. They want to have five guys in the backfield who can stop the pass, be creative on the blitzes, but just make it so that that defensive front has time to get to you because they're just blanketing your receivers. So I think it's actually a really smart play for a first-time defensive coordinator to lean on his strengths, which is... I know the secondary. I know how to coach DBs, so that's how I'm going to scheme against the the opponent. Yeah, is that's by smart. leading on that. So, and also you hear a lot about like these these mid tier schools, how hard it is to find you know the 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 edge rushers, the big guys up. We front. had a hard so, time finding <laughs> them. Like, right. so yeah, they, you do hear like, hey, there's tons of DBs. There's there's tons of just athletes. Yeah, right. That are out there that that you guys can who are fast, play. great hands. Mm-hmm. You know. Just, 
yeah able to yeah ball hawks whatever whatever it is having that i think that that'll be be beneficial to them if they can generate coverage sacks in that sense or you know if, if they're not able to get after the quarterback right away if they can't beat our line right away having those five defenders out there blanketing our you know trio of receivers whoever we're running out there might help them generate some pressure up front from a defensive standpoint I think that this matches up well for Nebraska to lean on an Anthony Grant again, mm-hmm. an A.J. Allen. And I think that that's great that they were able to then show this past week for against North Dakota, kind of getting that experience that they're going to need to help out that uh, that wide receiver core and, and really get the ball spread out. I, I think this is going to be a serious challenge in the way that Whipple likes to call a game versus how this defense is going to attack Nebraska. Yeah, that was my next question was how will he handle the pass? Yeah, I I don't is know. He, is and I think that the that the way that it's been he's leaned on the run when he's needed to, right? Like we've seen drives where like they threw the ball, you know, consecutively, but he's willing to lean on the run. He's willing to allow the run to take over. And so I could see them establishing a run game against a team like this. I think that's important, right? You've got to just own possession. You just yeah. got to own time so that way the defense is just tired out and then you can start to play more into your game, right? It's always all about how do we get to the game we want to play? What do we have to do in order to play our game? Well, we've just got to be scrappy in the run. We've got to push, 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 make them load the box, make them bring guys down, and then we can expose them in the passing game and, and really blow the game wide open. Yeah. We're looking for, you know, looking for those 50-50 balls where you got guys like Trey Palmer, who you've mentioned is, is a guy that's willing to fight for it. Yeah. Finding, you know, those quick, quick short passes, you know, getting guys open in space, you know, let them try to make a guy miss and, and take it an extra seven, eight, nine, ten yards. Finding, finding mismatches maybe in the tight end, you know, down the seam and stuff like that. So it'll be possible to, you know, take apart a defense like this that, that relies heavily on their secondary. But again, I I think leaning on our run game, I think will be key. And I think we saw that in this past game against North Dakota. Like yeah. they, it kind of just kind of clicked, kind of came together for that the staff. The other name I said there were two names. The other one right. is Anthony Wilson, and he is a returning senior. He is their safety, and he was their leading tackler from last year. So the safety is kind of like the commander of the of the secondary. Well, when you've got a defensive coordinator who's a secondary guy, he's probably going to be the commander of your defense. So he wasn't the tackling leader against Morgan State, but I do expect him to get his tackles in and to be an active part of this defense and kind of be the guy who's almost like our Luke Reimer, right? Like he's the guy that's going to be commanding the defense and getting guys set and getting guys in the right place. And he's an experienced guy who played great in the Sun Belt. He's probably going to have a career at the next level. So keep an eye on him as well as, as far as this defense goes. Yeah. So. That's interesting. So Oklahoma is going to be running out of four two five. So that's nice that we'll be able to prepare for. We've that. said this going into <laughs> it, right? That like oh, this it is the precursor up. to Oklahoma. Yeah. Right? If we if we do well against Georgia Southern, schematically we should have a shot yes. against Oklahoma. Um, and then anything for special teams when it comes to Georgia Southern? Did you write anything down for that part? <laughs> <laughs> I've written stuff down. I like I said, I tried to watch the game. I looked back at like my old Georgia Southern notes, and it was a. It was a mess, but also I was a mess, so that didn't help. For special teams, I just want to see, I just want to see them not make mental mistakes. Again, we didn't see the dramatic consequences of mental mistakes, but we still saw still them. Saw and, we, them. and we had flashbacks. We had PTSD. It, like, oh shit! It, it was it was to the point where when the when the football blew off the tee, and Frankie was just trotting up lightly to go pick it up, 
I was yeah, I was yelling. I was like, no, not again. I I thought I legit. You thought, thought it was an onside. I legit thought he was trotting up to do an onside. I thought it was just a false start. Oh my god, it freaked it freaked me out. It yeah. freaked me out. And so yeah, so I just I just want to see just a clean a clean game from the mental standpoint. Just just show us that you know what you're doing when you're out there on special teams. And then I, I wrote down to kick the ball out of the just kick the ball out of the yeah. end zone every time. But I also know that we we discussed that uh, that little pooch kick, and I fully understand kind of where they were coming from when, with making that call. Cool. Then just need execution on there. So. So you talked about Nebraska special teams. Yeah. I did my research on Georgia Southern special teams. Nice. What do we got? They've got a really experienced punter who averaged 43 yards per kick against Morgan State. His name is Anthony Beck II, and he's got one fucking hell of a mohawk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Guy looks cool. And punters are already cool because they come in all shapes and sizes. They look completely different one to the next. Some of them wear dumb helmets like the Indiana punter. <laughs> Other ones have awesome red hair mohawks. Yeah. And so uh, Anthony Beck is is a definitely an asset for them. He wasn't super active. He had a few punts against Morgan State, but he didn't have to really do a whole lot of extracurricular work to pin them hard or pin them deep. Georgia Southern's defense was really able to handle regardless of where they were on the field. But when it comes to uh, a punter, he averaged 45 yards per punt in 2021. I expect him to get back to that average as well moving into this season. So definitely an asset for them. And then they have two kickers that alternate back and forth. They've got Alex Rayner uh, at place kicker. He was nine for 14 in 2021, which is a 69% nice field goal kicker conversion rate <laughs> uh, and then they bring in a transfer from minnesota in michael lance who was eight for 11 in his career so they've got some options in the field goal kicking i'm sure they're still going to be figuring that out i think they only kicked one field goal and then they went seven for seven on extra points so not a ton of experience to really say like this is our guy but they went one for one so they're probably going to ride whoever made that kick and i apologize for not knowing who that was that's okay i actually know what that kick was they made that so they recovered a turnover it was maybe an interception or a uh, fumble. Ended up converting it into a kick. They should have had a touchdown there, but Vantries overthrew his receiver. I was watching it closely because I wanted to see how they did with their scoring opportunities on offense. And I remember marking that one down and saying, like, okay, they struggled last year with scoring opportunities. Inside the 40, they, they averaged under three points. So they averaged under a field goal every time that they got into the opponent's 40. And so early on in the game when they were, you know, slow out of the gates on offense— they had that huge turnover where it was like, okay, maybe they can like blow this thing open now or like really gain some confidence and control. Failed uh, to make that touchdown. Got the field goal. And so I marked it down. And then later on in the game, same thing. They they had a nice like punt return or something that got him inside the 40. And I was like, oh boy, here we go. And I was getting ready to like write this down and be like confirmation bias kind of thing where it was like, okay. Here we are, Georgia Southern trying to pull away, but they're going to struggle again, just like last year. And like the next fucking play, they take it to the house, and it was, uh, it was Caleb, uh, Caleb Hood. Yeah, it was Caleb Hood again. Yeah, just fucking, they just dropped off a little pass to him, and and he shoots off, and that dude has speed like nothing else. So, I should also say the score was fifty nine to seven, Georgia Southern yes. over Morgan State. Yeah, their defense did not give up a touchdown. That was a pick six. Oh, okay. So. Their defense is still pitching a shutout. So Van Treese is just ripe for the picking. He we has take every point scored has been first through Van Treese's <laughs> hands. <laughs> so he's technically responsible for sixty six points. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, that's not true because minus the field goal, sixty three points. There you go. Yeah. Well, no, 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 that's not true. Minus the extra point. <laughs> 
All right. So do you have a prediction for this game? I do, and it is way over the top. I'm, I'll admit it right now. This is not. I got one, too. Oh, nice. Okay, here we go. You know what? Hold on. Before we get to these, I'm still a little bit nervy, as in nervous, because I think that this is going to be a very serious game. So I think Nebraska is going to have a challenge ahead of them in Georgia Southern. Now, I'm going to be a cocky asshole of a fan when I read mine, but I just want, if any Georgia Southern fans are listening or Nebraska fans are listening, I would hope Nebraska fans are listening. (laughs) (laughs) For those listening, I still have confidence in my team, but Uh I think that the game might be a little bit more uh, close than my overly confident prediction. Okay, I'm going to qualify mine with the same exact statement. (laughs) I don't know if it's what we're drinking or if it's just we're we're just blowing in the wind here. Like based, you know, if Nebraska loses, it's all over. The world's burning down. We win, and it's all fucking. It's a parade. But yeah, I'm in the same exact boat. But we'll let's let's discover uh, each other's predictions here. Okay. Okay. Whoa! This red really does burn brighter when your team is on a smoking hot one game winning streak. Hey, it might not sound like much, but it's still longer than Frost's current streak on Wordle, a game he struggles with because he only ever uses one five-letter word, close. Speaking of close, that game against FCS Powerhouse North Dakota sure was close until it wasn't. Was it ugly? Yeah, it was ugly. But it only takes a few beers to turn a four into a seven, just like it only takes a few Anthony Grant touchdowns to turn me into a hapless believer in this team once again. Some people may have been sour about the slow start, but I wasn't surprised. No, I properly adjusted my expectations to a more realistic outcome and prepared mentally for the likelihood of a lackluster beginning, followed by a methodical pulling away towards victory. Now, fresh off the heels of a three-touchdown win and high on my own ability to predict the most wildly unpredictable team of all time, I'm once again adjusting my expectations. There is absolutely no way that putting my heart on the line once more will lead to anything other than the greatest joy. Nebraska rolls Georgia Southern. (laughs) (laughs) I can't say this with a straight face. 49 to 0. 49 to 0. I'm going to repeat. 49 nothing. I think... I think... You think they come out angry? I think... Nebraska's going to come out, like, hyper-focused. Again, I think that our defense was a lot better than they let on. They were... Slow to start, but there was a lot at play there. Georgia Southern beat down Morgan State, but it's Morgan State. They are still with a new coach trying to figure out their new system. Nebraska's offense looked fine, if inconsistent at times. So I'm like I said, I'm just I'm feeling too good. I'm not I'm I'm back on it. I'm back on it. Do I think that I'm wrong? A hundred percent. A hundred percent wrong. But do you do you think but that am you're I gonna, right? I'm gonna go with 100%. it. Yeah, because if I'm because if I am right, I'm gonna sound really fucking smart. Yeah, um, it's wrong. It's, honestly, if I had to put any score on it, I would drop Nebraska by ten and, and bump up Georgia Southern by about twenty. But I would still take that. Yeah, just when saying. I when I qualified my prediction, it was nowhere near as ridiculous. <laughs> as so here we go. Okay. At Georgia Southern, the acronym GATA is synonymous with how they do things. It symbolizes the rolling up of sleeves, digging heels into dirt, facing their challenges head on, and doing the damn thing. It's a work ethic that was instilled in the university's reputation with legendary head coach and notorious missing vowel, Irk Russell. During his run at Georgia Southern, winning three national championships in 1985, 86, and 89, 
Russell became known for rallying his players by yelling, Get after their asses! This rally cry became known to those following Eagles athletics as G-A-T-A, GATA. Unfortunately, GATA has been adopted by the university beyond athletics and has taken on such meanings as, Get after those academics. It's with that same soft approach that Georgia Southern Eagles will ultimately meet their demise. Clay Helton's squad will come out strong, firing their offense on all cylinders, attacking Nebraska downfield, and drawing first blood. The Eagles secondary will even stop Nebraska on their first drive, getting off the field as Thompson is unable to connect with Washington on a long third down. But the black shirts are angry. They're motivated. And most importantly, they feel the need to re-earn their storied nickname. The pass rush slowly develops after the help of a few precisely dialed-up blitzes from Coach Chins. Soon, Nelson, Mathis, Tanner, Robinson, Wynn, and Drew become forces in the backfield, keeping Van Treese off target and out of rhythm. It turns into a runaway as the offense and defensive line for Georgia Southern crumble under the weight of Nebraska's big boys finally feeling comfortable and confident. And beautiful. <laughs> Georgia Southern is not without their shots through the air here and there, but it's never enough as Nebraska goes blow for blow and then some anytime the Eagles put points on the board. The game ends with a score much closer than it felt while revealing some holes needing filled heading into Oklahoma, but ultimately the Big Red is too much and we're back above 500. Nebraska takes this one with relative ease, 36-15. Nice. I'm amazed that you think that they're going to score first. Yeah. That one caught me off guard of all the I, things you said. <laughs> you know, Nebraska has taught me that other teams score first a lot. Yeah. Nebraska's really good opening drive on defense, sometimes giving up a big play or the first touchdown or something where you're like, God damn it, here we go again. <laughs> and then they settle in. And I almost feel mm -hmm. like that first blood is important when the other team draws it because then Nebraska goes, okay, we can be damaged. Let's not have that happen again. Yeah. And then they actually start to kind of get back up to speed. And when you've watched the last two games, Nebraska's drawn first blood. And it's kind of that we're invincible sort of attitude. And then the defense doesn't always respond right away. And so I kind of like the idea of us getting hit in the mouth first because it's almost like just to look at Anthony Grant, like he needed to be hit first before he could emerge as who he was. I feel like that's almost a whole team vibe, right? Get yeah. hit first and then we all get to respond. I like the idea of just not getting hit. <laughs> that's me. That's me. You know what? As a guy who wears glasses, gotta. I feel the same way. <laughs> man, it feels good to talk about football when, when you after a win. With a big old W. Yeah, man. Back, like I said, I'm back on it, like because because I hate myself. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, because yeah, when I because when there's a because when it, they win, even when it's a win like this for whatever, I don't know. I just I just am more willing to look for positives. Yeah, maybe a little more willing to ignore the negatives too. But either way, it feels good. It feels good to have a W. Agreed. Well, that does it for this week. We want to thank everyone who tuned into this week's episode. If you have anyone who you think would enjoy a listen, we would truly appreciate your recommendation. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Wannabe Walk-Ons and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to call into the Wannabe Talk-Ons hotline with your post-game reactions. Dial 402-427-0258 and leave us a message. Remember to do your part, drink local beer wherever you are. If you have any breweries you would like us to sample on the show, visit wannabewalkons.com to submit your recommendation. Tune in next week as we react to the Nebraska-Georgia Southern matchup, preview Nebraska's game against Oklahoma, and sample beer from Site One Brewing Company. Thanks for listening, and as always, drink Big Red. Drink Big Red.